everyone, and welcome to another episode of In Media Mass, where two pop culture nerds try to make sense of the messy world of mass media. And I'm Clea. And we're glad to have you along. So, we consume a lot of media, and sometimes it just happens that we find out some of our favorite things were made by some pretty terrible people. And honestly, it's hard to figure out what happens then. So this week, we're raising the age-old question. What do you do when great art is tainted by a problematic creator? I'm going to be honest, this is not a topic that I am 100% comfortable talking about. Just because mm-hmm. I never actually feel like I have an answer to give. Same. I can't say anything with any certainty, I feel like. So this is one of those topics where it really takes me a while to sort of process and digest. Yeah, same here. I don't think I've ever arrived at a conclusive answer that like covers everything. Right. I feel like a lot of the time it's a case-to-case basis for me. Right, yeah. Because there are some things that are easier for me to kind of process in that Mm -hmm. sense than others. And there are some that I feel more strongly about um, because I feel like I have connected to the the art or the medium more than others. Right. Honestly, I think case-to-case is the right word because Mm -hmm. there are so many factors involved in what you should do or like what you feel like you should do. Um, when you find out that like something that you love is made by someone who is not so great. Right. A lot of the times it happens after the fact. Yes. You've connected emotionally and you feel like a really strong sort of sense of... Like attachment. Attachment is the word, yeah. If you have a really strong attachment to this piece of media and then suddenly the world feels like it's upended because you find out that it's actually made by someone very like terrible or not even terrible it's just that you know the process of making it is not as unproblematic as you hoped it was there's really a sense of betrayal i think with Mm. things like this yeah because you form an attachment to media because of your own experiences and you can feel seen by it or it helps you through a rough patch Mm -hmm. in your life maybe it resonates yes it resonates it illustrates and mirrors the spectrum of human emotion that's what storytelling does and it's not far off to say that you also form an attachment to the creatives and the artists behind it because Mm -hmm. you feel some sort of connection because of these things that they're portraying and you also feel some gratitude i guess right no yeah exactly actually you make a really good point aside from like the attachment to the media there really is a sense of gratitude to the creator i feel like that's what sucks the most when you find out that like this person who's created something that you care so deeply about and you feel so seen by and that resonates so strongly within you just disappoints you to a level that is like nearly unforgivable it's just it's hard to kind of come back from that and i feel like for millennials the most obvious and the most publicly discussed is jk rowling and harry potter yeah we've had like alanis and i have had behind the scenes many conversations about whether or not we want to talk about jk and the sort of um hullabaloo that 
has kind of happened in the last couple of years surrounding her because we were just kind of like do we really want to give it more publicity do we like it's been talked about everywhere and all of that but I think the thing about it and why it still matters to us, I guess, is to say that Harry Potter defined the generation is an understatement. Mm -hmm. And for our generation in particular, so much of our media consumption like revolved around Harry Potter and Harry Potter-related things. So it was probably the most betrayed I have ever felt by, like, you know, by a content creator. Just because... For me, it felt like Harry Potter was sort of one of those pivotal um, childhood media that kind of helped shape my like my thinking and my worldviews and my values even. Mm-hmm. And it just felt so upsetting that like I was essentially taught about like love and friendship and loyalty and bravery and all of these wonderful things. And the person who wrote them <laughs> is... Not at all a wonderful person. Yeah. It was rough. And I still have like a lot of feelings about how I can sort of like move forward with Harry Potter, knowing knowing everything that went down. Yeah, never meet your heroes. Ganon. <laughs> but yeah, I get that. I think when JKR started being publicly transphobic, my first thought really was about the queer community and how devastating that must be because mm-hmm. an overarching theme in Harry Potter was about accepting outcasts and people who were different. And like my favorite Harry Potter character was Luna. And while Harry Potter wasn't the pinnacle of contemporary literature. It's not, it's really not. Like objectively speaking, it's not the greatest thing. And, you know, that's something that fans know naman. And acknowledge. Yeah. But like you said, for many kids who grew up with Harry Potter because of its themes and how fun and accessible it really was, I would say, um, it was maybe their first touch point with reading for leisure. And it probably shaped their worldview in some way. And and if you were a big fan, it provided you with a community even of like-minded people. And... Again, like a lot of kids who were outcasts, who were marginalized or considered different for whatever reason, Harry Potter probably provided some sort of comfort and you latch onto it. And and then to kind of have the creator in real life be so harmful, mm-hmm. there's a sad betrayal to that. And the sad disillusionment also, again, especially if you are a part of the queer community. It's awful. It really... And I feel like that day... The day that it really started, like that day of the Twitter was it the rant. Date? Yeah. Yeah. The day of the Twitter oh. rant. There was just a real heaviness to sort of my circle and the people who I knew loved Harry Potter because it helped a lot of people feel seen and appreciated yeah. and like accepted for who they were. And then to have the series creator just kind of like turn around and say, no, we don't care about you is such a difficult to swallow and it hasn't been that long either aside from the fact that the franchise is still ongoing essentially they're still making stuff um and it's not as well received anymore its audience has outgrown it a bit the mm. young generation now is not as attached to harry potter and nadyo oversaturated na nga siya, honestly so nagsasawa ka na nga, like for our generation nagsasawa ka na nga 
nasira pa yung nostalgia mo for it. Yeah. So, diba? Parang, ang sad. For me, Harry Potter has always sort of been one of those dormant interests that you don't really... You know, it's never at like the forefront of your hyperfixations or whatever. But it's always like you always have a soft spot for Harry Potter. Right. And then after this happened, it was it took me a while to sort of figure out how I wanted to move forward. Yeah. Like if I still wanted to care about the franchise, if I still wanted to like have anything to do with it really. And it sounds very dramatic because it's like I'm one singular person who consumes content. Like what the fuck am I going to do, right? But you know, on a personal level, it really it really felt like having to make a very important decision about like how I'm supposed to move on with my life. No, yeah, I, I super agree. I remember asking you, right, I think hmm. recently, if you've watched the the new series, like the new Fantastic Beasts, I think. Yeah, see, I don't can't even remember yeah. what it's about. I mean, I haven't seen any of it. Yeah, I haven't so. seen any of it either. And that was a conscious choice. Mm, same. And like, ito pa, like, I remember when the first film franchise ended, she was like, oh, I don't think I'm going to do anything Harry Potter because, you know, the story has ended. And I was like, yes, I respect that. Right. But then she just ate her own words and I was not amused. Like, I found it a little annoying. I'm not gonna lie. Sorry, to me, I kind of immediately took a step back after Cursed Child was released. There was something off about the entire yeah. thing where I just felt like any more additions to the franchise just immediately felt like, yeah, a, like cash a cash grab. grab. Yep. <laughs> yeah, on that level, I was already sort of like keeping my distance. But obviously, I still had a lot of love for the original seven stories, you know, like the Harry Potter series. And that's what I cared about. And then when I kind of found out about J.K. Rowling's tirade, you know, when everything went down, I was really just like, does this change how I'm supposed to feel about the original stories? Like, does this yeah. change how much I care? Does this change how much they mean to me? Like, honestly, I still don't have, like, a super eloquent <laughs> explanation as to kind of what happened with me and Harry Potter. But given everything that's happened, I just kind of felt like I can't really unfeel everything that the stories made me feel when I was reading them. I mean, I grew mm-hmm. up with the series. So I can't, like, remove its impact from my life retroactively. Like, if I could, that'd be cool. But, like, I can't. So for me, it was more of just a conscious decision of like, okay, I care so much about like the original books and I know that the content creator is not a good person. So how do I move forward is just that I've sort of promised that the franchise is not getting any more of my money. Yeah, I get that. You know, you can't really change what's happened in the past. So moving forward, it's just that I'm done with supporting anything that comes out of J.K. Rowling's mind really same the man but also obviously i know that my personal boycott doesn't really do much on its own so it does feel futile sometimes because again it doesn't really change anything big in any real sense people are still consuming the content hollywood execs still give her the money Mm -hmm. but does it help my peace of mind absolutely right yeah and i don't know if that's kind of selfish actually but yeah, Shemper, you want to be able to make more of a difference. But sometimes you also just have to do it for yourself. For your sake, yeah. Because you have your own values, you have your own moral lines, so you gotta do what you gotta do to keep those lines in place. It's really less about the person and the the content and the creator. Oh, that's a good point. What you choose to do moving forward is less about the creator and really more about you. 
and sort of yeah, what maybe. values you keep. I think so, no. I think that's a good point. Mm. Yeah, because a lot of this is systemic, talaga. Like, I don't have any power to be like, to like, walk up to Hollywood execs and be like, stop giving J.K. Rowling money. <laughs> and like, go to every publishing company and be like, no. <laughs> like, right, yeah. Stop putting out Harry Potter editions. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, they have an entire ass theme park, so. Oh shit, but I went to the theme park, Clea. <laughs> I just realized. It's okay. It's like, again, it's one of those things. <laughs> in my defense, I was with literal children. But I will say to anyone who ever goes to the theme park to never buy the butterbeer shit. <laughs> not worth your money. No, then. It's a tourist trap. It's not great. Do not. Not worth it. Oh, but speaking of that, actually. So like I said, I was with literal children because it was a family trip and my little brother really liked Harry Potter. My sister and I encouraged him to read Mm -hmm. it because we were both bookworms growing up at his age. Again, it's an accessible book for kids, so he liked it a lot. Like he was on Pottermore quite a bit also, even without any like prodding from us. He was a bit of a nerd about some of the Harry Potter details. And it was the first series that he really loved because he was young. And it was around this time that obviously there was already a lot of discussion over the mess on Pottermore. Yeah. And people were more actively criticizing the lack of Asian representation. And then came the transphobic tweets. And I don't know what book he was reading actually when it happened, but I remember we had a conversation with him explaining the whole thing right okay let's talk about this like she said this about being transgender etc etc so i know you like the books and i'm glad that you do because i liked it also but i hope you understand that the character of this creator and the ideals that they're putting out into the world are very harmful and i don't want you to emulate that <laughs> so parang English teacher lang. Oh, joke. But yes, I, I think bringing the context of social issues that surround the novels and the author is important talaga eh. It's a really shitty thing, you know? Like, when kids are just supposed to, like... Y- you know what I mean? Like, when we were kids, we didn't think about this. We just enjoyed Harry Potter for what it was. Yeah. And then just, like, finding out all of this shit about JK is just, like... I'm I'm sad that, like, if we decide like if this generation sort of decides to pass on harry potter there are so many disclaimers that have to be made yeah that that was basically it like i we basically had to give him a disclaimer na parang, okay basahin mo yan matutuwa ka masaya naman siya pero <laughs> and this isn't limited to jk rowling there are so many works of media that have just become tainted by you know, the knowledge that the people who are creating them are actually fucking terrible human beings. So Too many. Just trying to process that, like, that betrayal you feel as a consumer, as an audience member. And then after you process how you feel, it's like, okay, what are you going to do next? It's kind of like a continuous thing because, I mean, it's not something that you think about 24-7. Obviously, you have a life and there are other things to think about. But, like, every now and then, you know, it's like I remember... A couple of months after that whole situation, my sisters and I were going to watch a movie. Mm-hmm. And like, we were kind of looking through the selections and then like, there was a Harry Potter film. And I actually like paused and just went like, should I? Should I not? Do I want to? It was super funny because it was a pause that wasn't about 
oh, do I want to watch this film right now? It's just like a, like, does how I feel about everything that went down allow me to want to watch this again? It's a weird feeling. It's just like... But okay, that's my question then. Do you feel bad or guilty for still liking something despite knowing the creators being problematic or being terrible? Okay, here's the thing. The guilt about everything I've felt about it in the past is not there. Yeah. Like, I know how strongly I felt about Harry Potter as a kid. Those memories, I try not to taint. Right. Like, I take it for what it is, that it was a big part of my life and that it really was important to me and, like, I loved it. So, that's fine. I mean, I guess it, it helps that this happened after the original Seven was finished because right. then it made it a little easier for me to kind of cut it out of my day-to-day consciousness. There's no real guilt because I don't really think about it present tense. The past me and like how I felt about it in the past, I really make an effort not to feel bad about how much it affected me. I tried to separate my experience with the art, but... Currently, I can't separate the art from the artist, which is why it's hard for me to enjoy it now. So if someone asks you if you like Harry Potter, what would you say? Although, I mean, it's not a common question anymore, but what would you say? I was a big fan as a kid. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, that's all I can say about it. Again, it meant a lot to me, but it's not something that I feel comfortable caring about now. Yeah, there's already a distance. I don't know for me, I feel like with Harry Potter, it was easy because as much as I liked it as a kid, I also didn't really grow up with it in the same way. So again, I read the books very late and the movies were good, but they weren't my teen obsession. So yeah, but with like other things, like in particular, maybe film, I find myself very conflicted a lot of the time. Yeah, I'm gonna be honest, there's a lot. I like a lot of films that are made by horrible directors, like, or like shit happened in films that even like problematic actors, honestly. Yes, actors. And then, you know, you also add people like Harvey Weinstein, who is a terrible, terrible person. But he also produced most of Hollywood. Right? Like, and you know what? In my Tumblr girl era, pa, I was so obsessed with Marquesa mm, because it right. was so like glittery and feminine and like. Right. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sobrang rude awakening talaga. Parang wow, terrible people have such a hand in so many things. Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, <laughs> but again, going back to film, it's frustrating because it's tolerated, I think. Like, it often feels like you have to be an asshole to be considered a genius filmmaker. And there's a pervading toxic culture in filmmaking that permeates, um, even in film school, but that's a different yeah. discussion. And it's something that's intertwined because we can't kamay, you know? It's yeah. not just Hollywood that enables things like this. Every industry is exploitative. Yeah. And kind of building off of what you say that every industry, and we're not talking about like every film industry in the world, we're literally talking about every media industry that exists, and even industries outside of media. There are problems that exist basically everywhere. For the sake of this podcast, we're sticking to media. But, you know, like, there are people in bands who are terrible people. There are, you know, there are animators who create toxic work environments oh my god clay i just had a very <laughs> visceral reaction to you saying people and bands are terrible people i oh know my god. i understand 
<laughs> that week na nagsisilabasan lahat about like Filipino yeah. artists was so terrible. Mm-hmm. I could not figure out how to listen to my favorite songs. Yeah. And like, hindi naman malakay magbayad si Spotify, but that was like the principle of the thing, you know? I was like, ano na? Same, 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 same. For me personally, like that was such a difficult thing because like, Okay, here's the thing. I pride myself on being able to cut things off when I need to. Right. Like, I am a person who, if I really, truly, truly feel like there is no salvageable way to kind of move on from this, I am going to cut my losses and say goodbye forever. But when it comes to media that has, like, personally impacted me, it's a lot more difficult. Right. Because it's like... Like, I'm not just cutting off a person, a creator, and then saying, like, okay, I'm not going to support you anymore. It feels like cutting away such a big chunk of like my own experiences. It's one of those things where you really need to process it first because it feels, again, like what you said in the beginning, it really feels like a betrayal. Whatever you created was so important to me. And then suddenly I find out that like you're not worth my support. It's not, it's a sad thing. Yeah. And you know what it also makes me think about? And again, this calls to me just being confused all the time <laughs> um like for some reason for me literature is a lot easier to reconcile like mm-hmm. writers especially classic writers being terrible is easier for me to digest yeah yeah for sure for sure in my head i know you were probably racist classic literature in particular it's like it's safe to assume that the author was a dick yeah like there's no pretty much like it's a very strong possibility. It's a probability, honestly. Yeah, and I don't know what that is that makes it easier to process with writers. Baka we're also just considered to accept it because we're Southeast Asians and most classic writers were white and probably condoned slavery. So, wala na tayo magagawa but to change the canon, I suppose. I don't know. Um, And with discussions like this, again, like we mentioned earlier, I think something that comes up a lot is how when you find out the creator is terrible, you know, you can choose not to support them. You can choose to boycott them. Again, I understand that it's the principle of the thing, but also for me in this economy, it's also just not them that's affected. Mm. There are people whose livelihoods are attached to these things, and I can't, we can't say anything about their morality because they could also just be trying to survive and trying to have a livelihood. You know, like, let's say there is a bad writer, but there are good people working in these publishing houses. There are good people working for labels um, and are interns and exploited by these labor, uh, by these labels and trying right. to work. And, you know, it's the same can be said about production companies and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I can't just lump them into being enablers because, again, they also need to live. Mm. And there's also a lot of nuance in that. So... It's not like I can segregate and filter where my money goes. I think actually like one of the bigger or sort of most clear examples that I can give is uh, the writer's strike happening in Hollywood. Right. Is that yeah. we're aware that writers are be- writers and staff and you know um, employees are being treated horribly at film sets. But right. you know, as an audience member, your choice to boycott these shows and these films is like, okay, sure, the network is gonna lose money or like the the producers are gonna lose money. But like what happens when the big guys lose money is that they cut off the little guys and that's yes. that, that's what makes it so difficult. You know, in as much as it's a moral question, it's also a question of like, how far does this reach? 
and what can I yes. do? <laughs> what is like the correct thing to do? And it's such a hard question to answer because nothing feels correct. Do I even have the power to actually change anything mm. by being a consumer? Like, parang just the fact that I am a consumer doesn't that mean that I am contributing to the system that is exploited? Yeah, <laughs> it's a very rough. <laughs> it's a very rough place to find yourself in, and like. Oh my God, what is that friend Leibovitz quote? The one that goes like, I'm angry because I'm powerless. Yeah. It's exactly how I feel. Yeah, I think I tweeted it in our podcast. We did, we tweeted it on the, we tweeted it on the podcast. It was so funny. It really is sort of why this podcast, honestly. Exists, yeah. There is a very strong undercurrent of anger <laughs> in like all of our podcasts. And it's because we have so many ideas of what should be done and what can be done and what we want to be done and we can't do any of them. And it's so frustrating. Yeah, and of course, we do have power as consumers. I do believe that. But it also is different and we also wield it differently. Like we mentioned, I do think the small decisions, again, that we make as consumers are often for our peace of mind. Maybe it's also just a matter of not letting our guard down, so to speak, when consuming things and drawing our boundaries and moral lines in spaces that we move in. So that could be in just our space as an audience or maybe our space in the industries that we move in. And yeah, that's why I have a lot of admiration and respect for people who call out things within their own industry. like. Like, I remember we talked about Portrait of a Lady on Fire in our episode with Glad. And I love Portrait of a Lady on Fire, but whenever I think about Adele Hanel, I also think about her walking out of the Cesar Awards in 2020 because um, of Roman Polanski winning Best Director. And honestly, Roman Polanski, we're not conflicted about him. He's <laughs> literally conflicted. The lines are very clear. Like, we, that's, oh, yeah, yeah. oh, yeah. He should not be working. Yeah, um, we can let that go. But anyway, back to Adele. That was such a powerful moment and a powerful statement. And I respect her so much for it. And the thing is that like, even people who do have considerable power, it's like, okay, let's say, let's say, you know, we beat all of the odds and we climb the rocks and we become like big shot, like Hollywood media people. Let's just say. Yep. It's like, we're two people. We can't protect the entirety of Hollywood. Yeah. And also, we can't protect the people outside of Hollywood. It's like there's an entire world to protect here, you know? And that's the thing. It's like no matter how high you climb the ranks, you can't change everything. Yeah. I do want to sort of like pick up on what you said earlier, though, that there are some artists, creators. There are some of them where the lines don't need to be made any clearer. It's a hard no. We're done with that. Like, we we do have those. I think the question actually then is, like, how does the line become that hard? Right. How does it move from I'm hesitant or I'm critical right. to I am not going to touch anything that you create ever? It's a very that's weird so thing because, like, for me, even that is case to case. Yeah, no, that's so hard. That's so hard. <laughs> Listen, when we say that we don't have the answers, this is what we mean. We don't have any of the answers here. We're really trying to figure it out too. Right. I think yeah, it's difficult because there are so many factors 
there's you know the severity of what the action is um there's the level of involvement they had with the piece of work there's also what the piece of work is even saying and then there's also the level of engagement you had as the audience with the work and then your attachment to the work your experience with it so ang dami. it's really not cut and dry for me it's like again it's pretty case to case but for me i try to kind of think of it as like heinous crimes are hard lines yeah so no like whatever happens it's like if, if if it counts as a heinous crime it's just like i'm done with you goodbye but i think for me sort of like bad decisions and bad choices and bad actions that were that i can tell were sort of like born out of like a general ignorance and inability to understand the world at the time i am less i'm more likely to forgive and sort of just you know basically you're on thin ice but you know i will i will still give you a shot i will still try and see if like you've changed from it I feel like it's really difficult to kind of gauge motivation and intent to say. But like, you can sort of see it in na parang there are certain instances where it feels like someone is genuinely remorseful mm-hmm. or someone just really did not know any better. And if it feels like one of those things, then I will be a lot less severe in how i in how i try to cut myself off from the media but yun lang it's just it's so hard because everything is case to case it just it sounds such, like such a cop out answer but everything is case to case and to me there's also a difference between someone being problematic versus someone who is just downright terrible but also with regards to gauging intent i think that also depends on whether or not they're like audience facing or how audience facing they are like how public their life is how much we know about them um because there are people that we know nothing about talagan and also you know just the, by the existence of pr we really don't know everything about these people um so yun mahirap lang talaga <laughs> it's kind of funny because i feel like for a lot of the conversations that i have where i have a lot of opinions it's because i have like one strong conviction that i like keep and yeah. for discussions like these it really feels like i end up i end up contradicting myself in the same conversation That's because true, i'm really true. just trying to absorb as much as i can this is a really difficult one because it just feels like one long process of trying to process what to do it's very it's, hard it's very strange to me because like whenever someone does ask about this concept of like separating the art from the artist it just it's funny because i am one of those people who feel like that's not a thing that i can do i feel like the artist leaves too indelible of a mark on the art for me to just be able to separate them and have it like you know be done with it But on the flip side, I'm also extremely against the concept of moral absolutism when it comes to consuming media because I feel like you are allowed to and you should um consume different forms of media created by different people and just it's a matter of being critical about all of it. 
Right. So it's a very confusing thing because I really feel like I'm I'm at the junction of just two very contradicting ideas. Yeah, no, I get it. And you. like the direction I go really depends on which particular media we're talking about. Yeah, and I think it also changes. Again, we say case to case, but it's also I think because how we think about it changes also depending on new things that we learn, new things that we discover, or how life and experience shape our current philosophies. Mm. And also for me, I talk about this all the time, but I don't like the idea of Theodore also. So especially in terms of contemporary media, so much of it is collaborative. And I do have a personal bias towards collective authorship. And so I view media in the same way. Right. So I don't ascribe authorship to one single person. And I don't think that one person has ownership of the media they create or produce. Especially like Conrade, if you look at television and, you know, see how that relationship between the creator and the audience shapes the show. So, right. yeah, to me, it's also that. Eh. Maybe it's also a cop-out answer that, you know, I'm just trying to compartmentalize it. But yeah, I still don't think that a single person has ownership of a piece of media. So while mm-hmm. creators and their politics inform their contributions to the media, they can't say that the media itself was fully theirs. But there, yes, you're right. You kind of just have to be critical and aware and also, again, make the choices for yourself. Just kind of accept the contradictions of that because it's also life. Yeah. I think it was like an F. Scott Fitzgerald quote that goes something like, being intelligent is the ability to hold two opposing ideas at the same time and still being able to function. Um, And I do believe that being human is so contradictory. I think you just have to keep shaping your values and just be steadfast with that. I mean, again, the human experience is incredibly complex. And, you know, we we deal with it off as it is, you know, throwing all of these ideas. Like, like for a lot of the times, media is sort of used to escape the realities that we're currently living in. We use it for entertainment. We use it as just a break. We use it as a break for our lives. And all of these discussions about whether or not something can be considered good if it was created by someone who isn't good and like all of these sort of like more difficult conversations. I know it bogs down the media that you're meant to enjoy, but it also is just such an important conversation to have because the media that you consume does not exist in a vacuum. Yeah, for sure. And... There are so many complexities, really, that exist in and around the industry and in and around your choices as a media consumer. Yeah. So at the very least, like understanding these things and being more critical both of the media you consume and yourself as a consumer just really helps you to make better choices, I think. And I guess like similar to how sometimes you find out a friend or a family member hold harmful beliefs or political associations right you know that's a sad reality of life it's also a sad reality that because the creators we like are also human and are humans in an environment that enables them and gives them considerable influence you know that's a recipe for disaster (laughs) Um, it can lead to terrible actions and terrible characters um like character as in like their personal characters so you know, we just, it's a sad reality and we shouldn't feel bad about feeling betrayed about it, but we also, you know, should keep that in mind. 
as well. We talk a lot about um, sort of getting angry <laughs> at yeah. the authors and the media and the injustices and everything. And I think that it really is just part of the experience. Like you mentioned earlier, um, finding out that the creators do your favorite media are bad people. It's just, it feels like betrayal. It really does. But um, I guess the one of the things that I try to do right. is really to take the time to process what it means to me. Right. And that looks different for everyone. You know, like for yeah. some people, it's talking to their friends about it. For some people, it's binging the entire thing and trying to decide if they like it or not. It really just depends. Like, again, everything is a case-to-case basis, including how you deal with the knowledge that terrible people made your favorite media. With that, because it's it's such a gray area and because there's so much leeway, you know, sort of towards either end of the spectrum, I think there it is also good to remind yourself to just be nice to yourself about it. Yeah. You know, it's like, There, for some people, there is a strong feeling of guilt about it. For some people, the anger stays a little longer. It really just depends. And there's no right or wrong way to go about it. Absolutely. There's really no prescriptive way. You know, as a fan, as an audience, you shouldn't feel bad about something like it affecting you. You know, your relationship with your favorite media is yours. And you're allowed to feel those things. It's very valid. And yeah, you know, because there is no prescriptive way and me and Clea are not here to um, be the ones to say, this is right and this is wrong. We would really love to know what you guys think about this. We would. Was there any like situation that you found it a lot more difficult to kind of process how you liked a piece of media because of a creator? Is there media that you can't give up despite having a problematic creator? Is there media yeah. that you have given up because of a problematic creator? We're not gonna judge. We <laughs> we are in no position to. Yeah. So we absolutely won't. Like these are questions that you know kind of plague our minds every so often, and it really is something that we would love to hear your thoughts and opinions about. Yeah. And I guess that's it for this week. Yeah. <laughs> This was therapy 2.0. Like, how many therapy episodes do we have every season? Maybe that's the theme of season two. As always, uh, we'll be talking about this and everything else over on Twitter. So you can follow us at In Media's Mess. Yep. We really would love to have a conversation with you guys on this. So let us know. Thank you, everyone, for spending time with us. And we will talk to you guys next time. Bye, everyone. Bye.